Hey friends, Dean here with some exciting news to share. You can now buy us a coffee. That's right. You can help support independent content creators like us by becoming a member of the 3324 Green Room at buymeacoffee.com slash 3324. Our episodes will always be free and that will not change, but your support at buymeacoffee.com slash 3324 will help us continue to bring you the best in music and movie podcasting, in our humble opinion. As a Green Room supporter, you'll not only have our undying gratitude, but you'll also be able to vote on which episodes we record and receive other perks for as low as $3 per month. That's the price of a cup of coffee. There's absolutely no obligation and nothing about the show will change. It's not going behind a paywall. Go to buymeacoffee.com slash 3324 for all the details. The link will be in the show notes of every episode as well. We'll see you in the green room. In this episode, we're on the case with Eddie Murphy as he brings his unique style of detective work to 1984's Beverly Hills Cop. Stay with us. Get ready for the 3324 Podcast, where lifelong friends Dean Legiro and Eric Coover share their love of all things music and movies. Dean has directed short films and is a music trivia buff. And Eric, trained in audio engineering, brings his extensive knowledge of music and film to the conversation as they discuss, debate, and celebrate their favorite albums, films, and much more. Welcome, friends, to the 3324 Podcast. My name is Dean, along here with Eric, welcoming you to this wonderful space we have out on the internet. We have carved out a little niche, a little hole in the internet where we sit and talk about music and movies. Hello, hello, hello out there. Uh, yes, indeed. Um, we are all over the place. That's <laughs> we're, we're all over the place. Fantastic. We are all over the place. Come on. Social media. We're, we're like Ego and Guardians of the Galaxy too. We're, we're coming out of the ground and, and overtaking the Dairy Queen. That's right. And uh, and just rolling down all the. Streets. And we're growing from there. And or we could be like the Borg. We're just we're just you know, there you go. assimilating the everything, and, you know, and we're gathering information, and we're just and assimilating it, and assimilating and throwing it back at you. There uh, we go. And we're having a blast. So yeah, awesome. So thank yep. you for joining us. This episode, as I said in the beginning, is going to be oh my god. <laughs> we we totally forgot about this film and Eric and I were just started talking, just rambling. And I said, Hey, I forgot what we were talking about. Uh, and I said, why not Beverly Hills cop? And Eric's yeah. like, eh, like you were kind of like wishy-washy. And then I yeah. started kind of talking about the characters and everything. And you're like, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. That's right. Uh, it's, I think it's the supporting cast in this movie that really got me on board. <laughs> I think that's you know, what it was. We started yeah, talking about everybody yeah. but Eddie Murphy, but I mean, he is the main reason for this film, but yeah. um, there, there's such a, a, a cast for days in this film of like, yeah. eight, of, yeah. in our world, in the 3324 world of 80s icons, 80s movie icons. True. Absolutely <laughs> is, true. Is in this, is in this film. So yep. uh, putting putting Eddie Murphy in the middle of that with all these other great actors just made for like a slam dunk. So let's jump in. Let's get the stats rolling. Mm -hmm. And then we can we can turn back the, the time machine to, uh, to 1984 because we were there. <laughs> we were there. We were there. And it so, was a formidable year for film. It was. I think. There I think the only, the only on other it. year I think that actually, in my opinion, is is it might be might overshadow it. Might have been eighty two. I thought this. I thought eighty two was a well, god. That was the, that was quite the year for for film for us yeah. or at least for me. Yeah, eighty four came back 80s, strong. Yeah, early eighties was still a, a little bit of a different time, which we'll talk about too. When it comes yeah. to to films like this, although probably a. A year later, things, I think a year later, literally things would start to change dramatically. And we'll talk about this. So this mm -hmm. was released in December of 1984. So this might as well have been 1985, but it was yeah. December of 84. It just, it, it just snuck right in there. Yeah. And it, it, Last, it, it came in under the, under the gun. Mm -hmm. Directed by Martin Brest. That's B-R-E-S-T. Because <laughs> we're childish. Uh, $13 million budget. And it made $316 million box yeah. off box office it was the biggest film of uh it was the highest grossing film of 1984 was it i believe yeah okay of, yeah. of films that were released in 1984 this ended up and it uh, came out in december that's fantastic yeah that's so wild. yeah so because so well yeah so they 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 start the t you know it was released in 84 so whatever the box office it makes throughout sure. is saying well yeah. it came out in 84 so it was the highest grossing 
uh, high yeah. grossing film of 84. And, you had some, and it was. You had some big uh, titles that year, too. I mean, we're talking, you know, you had Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. We had you had Starman. You had Romancing the Stone. What? Yeah. Star Trek three, I believe, came out. Gremlins came out this year. Wow. I mean, yeah, there was some a lot big, of great stuff. Yeah. Big just big to watch, just to go and yep. enjoy different things, just to uh, to be entertained. Yeah. That's the thing back then is, is there was so many movies that were just entertainment mm-hmm. that you could choose. And at this point, yeah, this was at this Spielberg point. really opened that door of, of, of and a lot of family fun and Ghostbusters too came out this year too. That was, we can't forget about that. Yeah. Um, so it's just, so, yeah, so yeah. if you look, I mean, this is just a really fertile time Sure. Uh, for, for these types of movies. I mean, it was, they were, you know, we weren't really in the, as you can see, this movie came out in December. So this was not like a summer tentpole movie because that really didn't exist yet. No. There were some big blockbusters that would come out. Yep. But this certainly, uh, to me, I think I saw, I, I, I could guess I saw it in 85. Um, so for me, it was like a summer film. But let, let's roll through some of the cast. And then we'll talk. We'll get into into some of that behind the scenes stuff mm-hmm. and and the production and uh, and <laughs> and why we love it. Yep. So of course, starring Eddie Murphy. I mean, this was not his first film. He had, he had done some some film work already, but it was always in in a supporting supporting mode, right? Mm-hmm. His first one was 1982, was 48 Hours, and of course, Nick Nolte was like the the name draw in that one. But 48 Hours did very well. 48 hours is actually, I love it. I, it's, yeah. it, it's lethal weapon before lethal weapon. Yeah. It, it this was that the, standard of 48 or, hours was the buddy cop, the, but the first buddy cop. Yeah, it really was. If and you're I, looking I, for the beginning, dare I say white guy, black guy dynamic, right? It was, it was, it was yeah, like croc- lethal weapon, croc- uh, lethal weapon, Crockett and tubs. Crockett Miami and tubs. Vice. Yeah. So, and, and his, his performance in that film was just fantastic. You know, it, 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 but the movie is so much grittier and this, I guess what we're kind of touched upon is how different that film is to, compared to this one. This one's slightly, it's tamer, much tamer than I think than 48 hours. And, and even though there might be some of the same kind of humor, that one's just kind of like off the wall, like yeah. violent and, and, and just, you know, yeah, this every, is a little more polished and, and, right. and Holly and, and, and ready for Hollywood. And, and that probably goes, and this is Eddie the, Murphy taking control of that situation, I think. And, yeah, and a little bit. A yeah, we're gonna, I, I have an interesting comparison that came up in my mind while I was watching mm-hmm. the film. Uh, 1983 Trading Places with Dan Aykroyd, yeah. <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis. Yep. Uh, that that was just another great turn by him. But again, in, in kind of a, a smaller role, this, yeah. you know, Dan Aykroyd was the name there, right? And that was mm-hmm. like the, he was like the big draw. Sure. Uh, 1984 would finally see Beverly Hills Cop, but then he also came out with a, a, a film called Best Best Defense, which is like it was just a horrible film, and they actually added his stuff in afterwards because it was testing so poorly in the theaters. So that mm-hmm. was almost like a glorified cameo. Really, wasn't anything that was significant in this. And then Beverly Hills Cop just pop, you know, pops the cork on his career mm-hmm. and and just goes crazy. And then he would kind of be on the uprise and then kind of really start making some really not good films. Um, and then it wasn't until 96 with Nutty Professor that it, it started to go on the upswing again. And he did Shrek and Dr. Doolittle yep. and, and really started to kind of skew towards a more family friendly thing too. He was doing a lot of the family friend uh, friendly kind of stuff. Yeah. Working with Disney. Daddy Daycare, yeah, sure. Haunted, yep. Haunted Mansion. That's right. Yep. Uh, all that kind of stuff. So he was really kind of doing that. And then, and then later in his career had started to swing. Uh, swing back. So mm-hmm. you've got Eddie Murphy, you've got Judge Reinhold, who was a staple, <laughs> a staple in the 80s. Uh, just a great, a, you know, great character actor. Not, certainly not high. a leading man. Yep. He was, uh, he was in, uh, oddly Fast- enough, Martin Brest directed Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And and guess what? Red, Judge Reinhold was was in there. Yeah. And that well, was uh, Fast Times was the f- the film before Beverly Hills Cop. So I guess he liked what Judge Reinhold had to bring. I'm going to correct you on that. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Amy Heckerling directed Fast Times. Originally. Oh, he did. Oh, sorry. He did. Yeah. <laughs> no, he. It's right. He. He, he act. Wait. He acted in it. He didn't direct it. That's okay. Yes, I Thank think you. he did appear. Yes. Yeah. You're right. Okay, weird. You're absolutely right. So his he's there somewhere. <laughs> Very strange. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, he didn't direct it. Amy Heckerling did. You're right. Uh, John Ashton, who's another great character actor, we know Taggart. him from this. As, as Taggart and oh, God. Uh, for me, most notably as the dad in some kind of wonderful. I love his his work there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Lisa Eilbacher as Jenny. And she really didn't kind of do too much after this. She kind of 
kind of uh, she was into one of the you know the biggest film of the year, but really wasn't able to parlay it. Mm-hmm. Um, really kind of didn't you know stopped acting like her last film was in '92. So she yeah the kind of she really I mean she was more of a character actress. She was in a lot of smaller yeah. sort of smaller films. You know a lot of I dare I say I think uh, maybe a few B movies as well. Sort of the schlocky. Yeah, Officer and the Gentleman was her biggest one before this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And then the fantastic Ronnie Cox as (laughs) as Bogomil, uh, who 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 really had uh, uh, for us a a trilogy of films where he was just he he upped the ante. So in in this in in this film as Bogomil, (laughs) he wasn't a hard ass really. He was just kind of by the book, very by the book, very sort of uptight. Even the way. Even do, you, do you wish to press charges against this I, against this officer? When I have to comment on just the way he walks. Okay, he's got that real kind of like he saunters, stick up his ass kind of like. Yeah, he kind of shuffles his way like it's just so bizarre, yeah, and, he, and he walks, walks this exactly the same way in in like RoboCop. He's yep. the bad guy in RoboCop. So, so that's what we're getting to is, is yeah. the second film in the, in the, if you want to see the Ronnie Cox trilogy, <laughs> it's Beverly Hills Cop as, as uh, Bogomil. Mm-hmm. And then 87, he would be in Paul Verhoeven's RoboCop as Dick Jones, who was like the head of the company and really like ups the scumbaggery of his acting <laughs> skills. Right. He's, he, he would be like, the, he would be like, like James Spader's father. Yeah, like yeah. As, as what Spader was doing in this same time in the 80s and 90s, <laughs> just that really like dicky kind of character. And and Dick Jones, I the just, name tells yeah, you I just, everything. I just love Robocop. the name. It's so yeah. <laughs> Dick Jones. God, that's you couldn't get any more basic than that. So then a- he would take it one one notch <laughs> higher because he did everything he could do on Earth. So he had to go to Mars in uh, 1990 yep. in Total Recall as Cohagen <laughs> and be the ultimate Taking that character to the ultimate might have been his twin brother, his twin, you know, Dick Jones, Dick, yeah. uh, you know, just sort of his twin brother. To, oh, you know, my like, God. As, or... as Cohagen, he was worse. He was the worst. <laughs> I'll, I'll be home in time for cornflakes. You know, it's just uh, just so, so yeah. awful. But he's so he also... he's so good at it because he's because he looks kind of wholesome. He's kind of kind of every man look. That's right. He, he doesn't really have like a villainous look. But when he when he puts it on. Um, when he starts acting that way, it's like, oh my God, this guy is awful. And it wouldn't end there because if for for all you Star Trek The Next Generation fans out there, he also played uh, a, a Starfleet captain in a yep. two-part episode. Jellico. Captain Jellico, who was, you know, again, the the sort of hard ass and nobody <laughs> likes him. It, you know, he still and he still has that banter. He's still walking. No, everybody hates him. He doesn't get along with Riker. Uh, and yeah, it just... Yeah, I think he played that role, filled those shoes very, very well. I think he was more or less he was good at it. as he was good as, at as, it. as the villain. So yeah, his yep. his, his actually his feature fi- film debut. I didn't know that Deliverance was his first movie. Oh really? Yeah, nineteen seventy two. I mean was that mad. was I mean everybody kind of be- became a, a known a, a star out of that film basically, and that was his first film, and he was in the iconic scene with the banjo when they're playing dueling banjos and he's playing the guitar with the kid on the porch and uh, Ronnie Cox is playing that's, the guitar and the kids playing right. the banjo. Yeah. Uh, and we'll just leave it there. That's probably the the, <laughs> the happiest point of the film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? A King of Queens. I think it I think it's Jerry Stiller. It says nobody, nobody squeals like Ned Beatty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause he's watching it. Yeah. If you haven't Any, seen anyway. deliverance, go, yeah, go see yeah. that. So yeah. take, um, let's talk take that when you will. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let, let's talk a little bit about Martin Brest then, mm-hmm. uh, the director, because he's he, it's an interesting, interesting career trajectory. You know, he he did he was doing some kind of pretty much some comedies, right? And he does he does Beverly Hills Cop, which becomes really gigantic. Uh, he does another great comedy, Midnight Run. Midnight Run, excellent with film. Charles Grodin and, and yeah, Robert, De Niro. Robert De Niro. Great, awesome, film. awesome movie. <laughs> and then in 1992, like the pinnacle. He directs Scent of a Woman. Yeah. He directs the iconic Al Pacino performance mm-hmm. as Colonel Frank Slade. And I mean, everybody, it's a quotable film. It's just a great film no matter what. It's, it, it doesn't feel anything like Beverly Hills Cop. It's got a different, a different touch and a different feel to it. Yeah. Um, 1998 comes back with Meet Joe Black, which is like an epic. Yeah. Uh, I, I really like Meet Joe Black. A long film. And again, a, a, just a Very different long. feel. 
um, re- remake of Death Takes a Holiday, I believe. Yep. You know, yeah, with Brad Pitt so. and Anthony yeah. Hopkins, just uh, them, those two <clears throat> reteaming from Legends of the Fall. Mm-hmm. And then in 2003, he makes a film called Gili, <laughs> which is widely war- known as one of the worst films ever. I mean, up right. there with Plan 9 Pants. from Outer Space. I mean, this movie was just like savaged. It was with Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez when they were dating, and it was yeah. just a mess. I think actually Pacino was in, was in Gili. Mm-hmm. Um, just a, a mess of a film, awful. And he has not directed a film since. That's a shame. So I, I, I you Real know, shame. I don't know what, what happened to him. I mean, he's 70 years old, so it's not like he's, yeah, he's, he's old and, and out of it. And he's 70 now. And his last film was 17 years ago. So he was in his fifties when he, when he directed Gili and just like walked away. I wonder if that had a, such a profound effect on him that, you know, I decided to give it up there. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, it's just, it was really, I mean, I've never seen the film myself, so I, I couldn't say. I mean, it's not know, the I've, worst, worst, worst ever. I'm sure it, it's, it's not. It's not a it's great probably, film, but it's not a, probably not a great film, but it's probably not that bad. You know, like there's a lot of films out there that, that have that reputation and yeah, you watch it. It's like, you know, this isn't really, you know, I've seen worse. You know, you always, you always, there's always a worse movie. Yeah. And, so, and again, you know. he, he's, he's, you know, especially with, with what he'd done before Beverly Hills yeah. cop, midnight run center of a woman, meet Joe black. You can, you can weather a stinker, even if it's a, a, a pretty notable, <laughs> notable stinker. Everybody right? you just kind of, sure. kind of reset yep. and, and come back unless, unless that did it in, maybe people just say, hey, we don't want it. Want anything no. from him. So, well. so yeah, let, let's talk about like the behind the scenes for, for this film. Was goes back to as early as 1977, because you know everybody knows Jerry Bruckheimer as like producer extraordinaire, but he he did have a producing partner Don Simpson. So it was Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer that were like the power power duo in, mm-hmm. in Hollywood with producing. Yeah, Don Simpson kind of had the idea about a cop from some somewhere out east who comes to Beverly Hills. Uh, a couple of screenplays uh, drafts had gone around. Finally got somebody interested in it, which was Mickey Rourke. Yeah. You know, for 400, signed him for $400,000 holding him to do, to do the film. I can't see that. Of course it wasn't the comedy that it was. I'm sure it was that it became, uh, but I can't even, I can't see that. uh, Especially at that point, Mickey Rourke, he was, he was in his like Pope of Greenwich village diner Mm -hmm. right in, in that era. So I, I don't know how that would have looked. Um, it, it, the film was taking a little too long to get off the ground. So Mickey Rourke left, Scorsese, Martin Scorsese was approached to direct it. He passed on it. Sylvester Stallone finally gets offered the, the yes. role or considered for the role of Foley. Uh, he rewrote it because he's a screenwriter and he's a good screenwriter and he knows what works for him. But it was more action and less comedy. Of course, this was um, this would not be the same film. It's yeah, well, actually, what I think what it did become <laughs> because he wrote the, the the character's name in his draft was not Axel Foley. It was Axel Cobretti. Cobra and Marion yep. Cabretti is the name of, of his character in Cobra. Mm-hmm. So I think he probably, yeah, I think he probably made his version of Beverly Hills cop. Yeah. You probably as right Cobra. Yeah. Yeah. It would have been a totally different film. Yeah. Um, I think, and there's a number of other actors that also were considered. I think Al Pacino was one, right? Am I mistaken yeah. on that? I, yeah. I think he, I think his name was kind of bandied. I, Richard I don't prior Harrison Richard Ford Pryor. was offered. <laughs> Uh, they, they've made the rounds, you know, so, so as, as iconic as Eddie Murphy is in this role, it seems like he was f- not even the second choice or he was far from the first choice. Like mm-hmm. they were going through the Hollywood elites at that time. Pacino, Harrison Ford in 1984 could do no wrong. Mm-hmm. That's right? right. He had Star Wars under his belt and he had Indiana Jones under his belt. Mm-hmm. So they were looking for a, a big name, Stallone. I mean, they're, they're swinging for the fences and then they eventually land on Eddie Murphy. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of, you know, you, you think, oh my God, like how did it, how did it go from there to there? But it was an inspired choice. He kind of took it in a whole different direction. And I don't know if he had a lot of input. I would imagine he would, he did. Cause that's Eddie Murphy. I think, you know, if you just, you know, when you, when you watch the film, I mean, it's Eddie Murphy productions, you know, he's got his own little, little thing yeah. in there. He's got, he's got a hook in there. Uh, you know yeah, what I compared, I, you know what I compared this to, you know what I thought when I, when I watched it, and and it came out afterwards was Ace Ventura because the story of Ace Ventura was the same thing is, is they were trying to develop that film. And when Jim Carrey came on, he said, I'm, I need to rewrite this and yeah. put himself into it. 
Sure. Right. And I think Beverly Hills Cop did the same thing is, is it would have been one thing with Stallone, but putting Eddie Murphy into it and allowing him to do what he does, because that's what you're paying for. You're not paying for Eddie Murphy to be like Stallone, Mm -hmm. right? You're paying for Eddie Murphy to be, to take his SNL chops and and smarts and, and comedy instincts and bring it to a feature film, which is exactly what he did. What he did, though, was was absolutely brilliant. In in a, in a time when move when action films were starting to kind of rise above, like they were starting to get. <laughs> this was like if just a few years later, Die Hard would come out. You had you know Lethal Weapon. You had these really sort of elevated, like ridiculous, yep. supposedly quote unquote. These guys are all, by the way, the average guy. You know the everyman, yeah. and they're cop. all cops, and they're, and all, they're cops. all and they're all cops, <laughs> and they're all like the supposedly the the you know the the everyman cop, just a regular Joe, just a regular Joe. But you've got Bruce Willis, like you know, diving off a, a high rise building attached yep. to a fire hose. You got this these really ridiculous, like elevated action sequences. I mean, the you know the the whole tone of action films started in the mid eighties and, and worked its way up. Yeah, that, and, That's what I was actually getting to you. It's yeah. funny you brought that up because in, in 1985 mm-hmm. commando would come out. That's right. And commando yeah. started the over the top action. Like, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't just a car crash. It was a car crash and an explosion and, and five guys flying through the air. Yeah. And, and, and just, it just like that for me, I think when I was looking at it, I'm like, yeah, this is kind of like standard action stuff. There's car chases and some car stuff and, mm. you know, a couple of punches thrown here and there. Commando just, he's throwing the, 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 the buzzsaw blades. He's throwing pipes yeah. through people. And throwing again, grenades at people, it, it, you know, I think it, that's when the action started getting amped up. And like you said, and then like it became action films became the thing. And, and again, how big he's, can we explode? He, yeah, he, he's good at what he did. Sure. He's a he's a you know, he's a killing machine, I guess, or a commando. But, you know, come on. I mean, you know, it's just like, <laughs> you know, he's, you know, he's just a regular soldier, too. I mean, he's not, you know, John he's not Matrix. Su- he's, you know, these guys aren't superheroes, but they, you know, but they, the, the, the way the action was so amped up, you, yeah, you, it became whereby, hyper, hyper real. This was still in, in the realm of reality. Well, well, Nothing well, the, happened here that was like, the, Oh my God. Well, how that's the brilliant that? thing about Beverly Hills cop is, is that Eddie Murphy took what yeah. he did was the same thing. Like a, a John McClane would do where he kind of outsmarts an entire police force. Right. And why? Because he's, he's streetwise. He's, he's a wise ass. That's his superpower. That is like he, yeah. What you know? Instead of action, it's comedy. Well, and it's, and it's a fish. It's a fish out of water comedy too, right? Exactly. So he's exactly. from the the rough and tumble streets of Detroit, and they don't yeah. necessarily. And as you can see by the first scene, he does not do things by the book with the cigarette heist. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know who that 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 the guy who who plays like the the gangster in that first scene when they're haggling over the money? Do you know who that is? That's Frank Pesh. And Frank Pesh, if if you want to really get into trivia. Um, there's a movie about Frank Pesh's life called 29th Street. Okay. And he was he won the Frank Pesh won like the first lottery in New York, the first sweepstakes. Oh, really? And he always That's wanted to do something different with his life. And and his parents always wanted him just to get a job, but he he just, you know, won this and then decided to become an actor. So there's a great film. It's it's very much like it's a wonderful life, but Italian style. Uh, called 29th Street. It's with Anthony LaPaglia, D- Danny Aiello. So anyway, Frank Pesh is, is the guy in the beginning, like, you know, oh, you know, 2000, I'll get you yeah. on the next one. And then, and also we got, we got to talk about the, the music was so important to this film too, because oh, yes. when you get the, that action sequence and, and and in the beginning, when he's driving the, the double trailer with the cigarettes, we're hearing Neutron Dance by the Pointer Sisters. And it's also just matching the 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 music with with the film again back in the eighties the soundtracks were so important of getting artists to do music not just score it most definitely set the tone for the film too because here is this arguably the most elaborate uh, car chase in the film I, I love mean, I just I still I mean, love there's, watching there, it. there's destruction everywhere he's hanging that, that off trailer the back just, of it. just I mean yeah that, that, you know, that trailer is like probably, a plow yeah the the biggest probably action sequence in the film. Absolutely. Uh, um, and it, it's the Pointer Sisters, like, right? So you're kind of like, what? You know, like, so, but it, it does, it absolutely it, sets the tone yeah, it, it for what fits. this film is. Yeah. And it works. And there's, there's and, one point yeah. when that, when that truck, one of the, 
the truck hits one car and it like goes into a pole and like explodes. I'm like, yeah, and the cars just like, that scene over and over. So so choreographed so the, well. The, the cars just like they just they just they they're like matchbox cars. Yeah, they just like they're made out of cardboard. It's like you know, yeah, like, he's <laughs> just plowing them out of the way. He's just plowing them out of the way. So Eddie Murphy already is his character Axel Foley is already on the. We already get a lot out of the character from from the first five minutes. And Paul Reiser is in in the beginning too. His partner Jeffrey. Yes. So, so yeah. there's a lot of '80s actors in this film. When when the film started, I was like, I don't remember Paul, what, who was Paul Reiser in this film, and then he shows up. I'm like, okay, Jeffrey. That's right. You know, <laughs> and then you got the the you know character actor Gil Hill as the as the inspect as Inspector, Inspector Todd. Todd. <laughs> he's that he's that 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 go typical, home, Axel. Go home. That, that typical like hard ass. You know, the lieutenant captain. The, the, and then you had the great James Russo as, as yeah. Mikey, his Mikey buddy Tandino. Mikey. Oh my this God. was, I think it might've been his, his debut. Yeah. And James Russo kind of had an interesting career. Not, not, you know, he's kind of, he's kind of been around, he's been around for a long time. And, and I kind of took notice of him in this film mm-hmm. uh, and he's not in it that much, No, you know, but uh, he was actually in fast times at Ridgemont high as well. Yeah. That's so, right, he was. so he was, uh, he was with judge Reinhold, uh, but Beverly Hills cop, Ah, State of Grace, uh, My Own Private Idaho, Donnie Brasco, I think most most recently, but that was in the 90s, so it wasn't yeah, even was, that most recently, but he's he known for that kind of stuff. Range. He plays a lot of gangster film. He does a lot of gangster stuff. Did, he did Open Range, the Kevin Costner film, the later uh, film. Episode of Miami Vice, the one where they go to New York. He was in that. He was the gangster. He was kind of uh, the guy they went to see in New York in the club, and you know he's uh, dating... Pam Greer's character or Tubbs's girlfriend, Pam Greer. She's up there and she's dating James Russo. And there's this whole thing going on there. So I, 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 yeah, I always loved him, you know, and he's not, he doesn't have like real big meaty roles, but no. I always loved his acting. No, he's always he, in those you know, supporting, those supporting and he's always, things. The thing that gets me is he's always eating something. And I, I swear <laughs> to God, he's my, he's eating like like seeds, like, like he's sunflower like Brad, He's like seeds. Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt's he's always like eating that in upper, his films. Up that upper lip is always like, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? You know, like you've seen in a, in a couple of his earlier performances. It's his, his acting method. Yeah. It's his acting method. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, a, it's like a handful of like, he must have sunflower seeds or something that he's like just chewing on. Or, yeah, you know, it's just, <laughs> that's his thing. He's that's, got, yeah. That's how he creates the character. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So he meets up with, with Mikey who, who's, you know, Axel Foley, I, when they were younger, they were kind of not uh, on the right path and, and Mikey stayed not on the right path and yeah, Axel was able to straighten himself out. And that's because Mikey actually took the fall for a stolen car. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. So there's a little bit of a, you know, a brother, a, a brotherhood there. And they feel like, you know, connected to each other because they, they had gone through that. And, um, and Mikey stole some bonds, which do- doesn't end well for him. Nope. Uh, again, Jonathan Banks, everyone knows, oh, yes. uh, everybody knows from now from Breaking Bad. Mike, my favorite um, character. Mike. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, this was, this was an early film for him as well. Mm-hmm. He was just kind of, he, he did this and then he did like, I think it was in white, the uh, wise his guy, de- the TV show, right? Yeah. His debut was actually 48 hours. I think he was, he was actually a cop in 48 hours. <laughs> and uh, in the very beginning he gets, he gets killed. He's the guy on the stairs that, that, that's tells Nick Nolte not to give up. And he's just sort of sobbing and he knows he's going to get blown away by James Remar and he does. And so there's a little role there, but then he, in this film, he's, he's, yeah, a lot of roles. TV, a lot of TV shows as well. A lot of TV work. A lot so of very, very prolific. He always plays the heavy, you know, kind yeah. of the yeah. Um, the, so so yeah, so he's he's the hitman. He takes out Mikey, and that and that in turn now uh, triggers Axel to go out to California because that's where Mikey was working last, and that's where the bearer bonds came from. Uh, he was working for their friend Jenny, who's played by by Lisa Albacher. So they get out there. Uh, and this is really when the fish out of water thing kicks in, right? Because yeah. he's used to being from Detroit and he goes to Beverly Hills and sees just everybody's all glitzy and glamoury. What a, what a, what a dressed, contrast. You know. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Because it was a montage in the beginning of the film of, de- of scenes of Detroit and it's, you know, not as well to do and people aren't doing yeah. so well. And then they have the same type of montage when he gets to Beverly Hills. You might think that this is a totally different type of film. You, you know, in the very beginning, you're thinking this is not a comedy showing like the you know the impoverished section yeah, gritty, gritty you know, crime gritty crime film exactly perhaps yeah and then it, and then you get yeah yeah he gets to beverly hills and it's like but he's still driving his his, his nova know, his, his piece of shit <laughs> nova from back in the day and he just comes you know dry you know driving in and uh i think at this point he's 
this is Eddie Murphy, the, the, the star now, right? This is, this might be one of the first, like, could be one of the first, like self-aware moments in film where an actor is, is aware of his own popularity. And there's that one moment where he's walking down the street and he's, there's those two guys walking past him and they're dressed in the same outfit that he was wearing in his HBO standup, uh, yeah. delirious, the, the red the, leather, the, the, the red leather. And he's just laughing like, <laughs> you know, like he's just, but he just busts out laughing. So that, that might, that was a nice little self-aware moment. Of, yep. Yeah. I'm Eddie Murphy. You know, here I am. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's really, really, really good stuff. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, and I think this is where the, the film becomes his too, because a lot of the, the that first part, everything in Detroit is just kind of, kind of table setting he's kind of blending in there yeah he he has a couple of snarky cracks but yeah yeah but i don't think he's got up and running yet because it's just kind of he's they got to get through that that plot point to now Mm -hmm. get the the story rolling and then once he gets out to beverly hills it's he goes to meet (laughs) jenny and and bronson pinchot as Serge. Serge. I mean, there are so many <laughs> characters that came out of this film and so many people that got careers. Out yeah. Of it. Yeah. You know, and Bronson Pinchot certainly cashed in on this. Oh my goodness. Because Jeez. after this, he, he went and did that, that show perfect strangers as Balky, yeah. which kind of really, uh, <laughs> was, was this, it really, it really was. Yeah. It was, it was basically, it might've been the same character. You could, you know, very like, close. Oh, yeah. Oh, that, you know, just a little twist of lemon. And, you, know, <laughs> you know, like that. I just, uh, I can't, I can't even like, what is he supposed to be French? I don't know I don't what know. he's supposed I to be, I but I, just, I, you I know. <laughs> no, he's like a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. Yes. Like, yes. You know. <laughs> Can you believe it? So that, yeah, yeah. So there's just so all these great characters that Eddie Murphy gets to bounce off of. And that's the great part yeah. of it. Is is you give him interesting characters, he can then kind of maybe improvise or just kind of wor- work with them as opposed to just straight dramatic actors who are trying to deliver information. Yeah. So these these people are delivering information, but he's he's they're interesting and they're different. He twists you know? and then, every, and then every yeah every conversation is twisted because he's he's just such a wise ass. He just always the with the you know just joking and and just remarking. Even the look, just the looks, right? That that comic timing of of him just like. You know, given that stare, and then he just breaks out into a, like a like a wisecrack smile or something. Like you know, he's just, he's always on in this film. That's the thing; he is always on. Yeah, and, I, and that's know. what that's what reminds me of of Ace Ventura. Is the same yeah. type of thing. It's like like you know, Jim Carrey hit the ground running, and, and Eddie Murphy pretty much did here too. Mm-hmm. Like once once he got to Beverly Hills, it was just like one thing after another. You know, the banana in the tailpipe, sending down the <laughs> sending down the the supper to, to, uh, to, to Rosewood and, and Taggart when they're in the, in the car and, yeah. uh, just all the, and then the interaction with Serge. And, and then when he went to go see Victor Maitland, who's the main villain, right? He's the mm-hmm. guy that owns the art gallery and ostensibly had Mikey killed. Yeah. Even then he's cracking wise. Even when he's even talking about serious subject, he still is kind of, you know, uh, fixing in on his target, but doesn't mean that he's, he lost that, that sense of snarkiness and underneath uh, it all it's like he's got a purpose he doesn't care right he just you know he's he's single-minded he yeah he doesn't know any of these people this guy's a you know obviously a dangerous person he doesn't care he, like he just you know he just he knows what he has to do and you, you think he's in way over his head you know at some at some certain points of the film and he is in, in a sense he is and that kind of like adds the probably the only real element of danger to this movie, you know, but it just, uh, uh, those moments where it's, you know, it's there and they're trying to tell him that, you know, like the other cops are like, what do you, you know, don't do this or whatever, you know, cause they're always by the book and it's like very straight. Yeah. In Beverly Hills, and, they are straight laced and they, straight- they don't take any shortcuts no matter if, if it makes the job easier. It's like, that's not what they do. Mm-hmm. So they're really, you know, kind of up a little uptight about their, about their job. And he comes in just throwing a monkey wrench. You know what it reminded me of? You know what I was thinking about a little bit too? I was thinking about Maltese Falcon, how, how Humphrey Bogart was, was trying to, you know, solve his case, but also keep the cops at bay. Yeah. And this was, it kind of had a similar thing where he was just trying to keep the cops away from him just, just so they, they won't botch up the case. Cause if they get involved, they're going to scare off his, you know, the, the villain and he's going to, mm-hmm. he's going to, you know, pull up stakes and leave. No, he's so absolutely it, it kind of had that, his, that yeah. aspect to it. He's definitely doing things his way, you know, in a comedic, in a comedic tone. Uh, it was the same type of thing, you know, we're, we're not going to fall. You're not going to fall for the banana and the uh, tailpipe, <laughs> which of course, 
you know, even back in Detroit is what he's used to doing. And, you know, he's a very he's an up and coming cop. He's not quite the veteran. He's his captain tells him you're 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 a brilliant cop. You're you're you know, but you're but you don't know it all yet. But you don't know it all yet. And he still makes some questionable decisies. Exactly. You know, so but he's going to do things his way. And and you know what? He just again, just it's comedy gold just to see him outsmart at every turn outwit, you know, these brilliant but but these guys and some of these guys are they're not young guys like you look at taggart he's not a you know he's been on yeah. the force for quite a while he's like he's been doing his right he's just like he just wants to go home at the end of the day you know you could definitely yeah. tell that he's that type you know and, and, and chief chief hubbard is, the, is this the man that <laughs> ruined the buffet at the Howard club <laughs> He's like a hundred years old, you know. Like, Even then, he was right. right? Yeah, he's still, you know. Is, it, is this the man that Rosemont? You know, like, and, and Judge Ryan was like uh, Rosewood. <laughs> so yeah, there's just a lot. You know, it, it's great for him to have these different kind of characters to play off of. So, yeah. so that's the good thing is he got the movie to himself. So he's not trying to be a supporting character, trying to kind of get some spotlight time for himself. This is all his and he, and he really did make the most of it. And and the villain is is quite formidable and I really like Stephen Burkhoff in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um he hasn't done a lot. He's not a big name. He would he would do Rambo First Blood Part 2 like the year after this or 2 years after. Yeah. Um he was like the Russian head of the Russian military thing that was after Rambo, so he has that that villainous look and that's his his thing, but just his his very calm and, yeah. and he uses minimal words. He doesn't say a lot of words. And it's just creepy. Yeah, like he's, he's just creepy. Yeah, he's the steely-eyed, you know, yeah. very, very all together. He's got, a, you know, he's very just sort of, he just knows, commands the room kind of presence. And he just, he you know, knows he, that he knows more than everybody. Right. Knows nothing, that he, nothing phases him. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. And knows that he's going to, he's going to get what he wants. And even Axel Foley, he's right in his face, right? He's, he's, you know, he, he takes care of Jonathan Banks, yeah. like shoves him into the buffet table yep. and he's just sitting there, you know, dabbing his mouth with the, with the, with the, Man, you know, detective the Foley. And yeah. And he's just like, what do you, you know, yeah, he's not. He's not going to be phased. Yeah, he by wasn't. Anything. He wasn't flustered by that whatsoever. He was just like, yeah, whatever. You know, it's nope. fine. We're we're going to get you in the end, and they almost do. So yeah, you've you've got you've got all these different things. These uh, trying to find out who these guys are, but then also during this film too, he starts to change over some of these straight laced yeah. cops and, and get them to understand that it, it's not necessarily about rule breaking, but it's just about doing good police work. And sometimes you just need to you know, to make sure you're helping people. And that was his thing is they end up foiling a robbery at the strip club, which was kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and, and he, and he, Axel wanted to give Taggart and, and Rosewood the credit. And he, so he made up this big lie. And then Ronnie Cox is like, well, what really happened? And yeah. of course they tell the truth. It was, you know, it was Axel. It's like, you can't, it was such a good lie. It was going to work. Yeah. He's actually, he's <laughs> like, you know, but, the, but because he's such a wise ass all the time, he doesn't get the opportunity to do something genuine and yeah. he does. He, he tried, he, this is a genuine, uh, you know, thing for them. He, you know, bringing the food down to them. He was like, and they were like, Oh, the, you, you were throwing us off. He goes, no, that was real. I know how it is to be on a stakeout. And he's serious. And he's telling yeah. them like, you know, I'm looking out for you guys. Yeah. You know, and just like in the scene when he got, when he got punched and, and, right. and Ronnie Cox says, do you want to, yeah. you want to press charges against this? He goes, we don't do that. We, we cops don't, Cops yeah. don't press charges, like, file where, charges. What, what world am I in right here? Yeah. I mean, you guys, there isn't really much happening. Not a whole, you obviously tell that this is Beverly Hills. There's probably not a whole hell of a lot of <laughs> real sort of streetwise type crime happening at this, in this section of. Yeah. Well, of, apparently know, there was a lot going on. They just weren't aware of it. The stuff yeah. was coming in with coffee grounds on it, all the drugs and the bear bonds. Yeah. Uh, and, and he, he, he detects that and. They esc- they, you know, the next thing is to escort him out of town. The the sergeant, you know, is you know, take a you know, uh, Billy, take him and, and escort him out of town. Uh, actually, there's a couple of other times also when they, they just are trying to follow him, just trying to keep up with him. The you know, the banana yeah. and the tailpipe, and that's with uh, was that with uh, Marlon Wayans? It was Damon. It was Damon Wayans. Damon right. Wayans that gives yeah. him the bananas. Take those bananas. Take those bananas. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so a lot of just a lot of great great side actors and, and characters that, that really fill out this interesting world that he's in because yeah. he doesn't believe that he's in this you know, like he's he's almost like in a like stranger in a strange land 
Beverly That's Hills. Right. It may as well be Mars to 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 what the kind of crime that he's used to and and right. and the way that his police force does things. So it was just a great. But there's a, you know, there's a, and obviously he has to understand too that, that, you know, they have their own way of doing things, you know, so there is a certain, you know, he's got to learn himself that he, there, there's a certain way, uh, a certain arrogance to his behavior that I think there are moments in the film where he realizes that and he tries to be, like I said, like he, you know, he, he tries to do something for them and, you know, and, and little teaching moments, but they're also teaching him too. Yeah, there are times a little when bit he's, more restrained and and, yeah. and just to do things. By yeah, like what like when Jenny gets you know, gets kidnapped at the end. Yeah, and he's trying to break in and Taggart's like, you know, I'll get the search warrant. We'll be here in twenty minutes. He's like, in twenty minutes she'll be dead. So we have to mm-hmm. do this now. Like, mm-hmm. but it wasn't in a comedic sense. It was more like police, you know, police communicating with police, like fellow officers working with each other. He knows and, how and to. They eventually got like yeah, like uh, they eventually began to respect Foley. That yeah, he he's he he draws outside the lines, but he is also a good cop. He's not corrupt. He just doesn't do things exactly by the book. That's right. And, um, he, he knows how to turn that on too. Like he, you know, he goes from one minute being like, uh, uh-huh, you know, you know, but then he gets serious and he, you know, I just right. love the way he, his face just completely changes. He's, he's a good actor, you know, and the more he did it, I think the more, the better he became, but he was just, uh, you know, he, he really yeah. broke I like out the, I like that, the scene you know, when, when they broke it, when they broke into the customs, and he walks up to the security guard. He goes, "You have a match." <laughs> yeah. And then he's, and then he's, you know, he pulls out his badge. And he's like, oh, "I'm from the customs thing," you know. And this guy offered me a match. Yeah, you offered him a match. <laughs> what? You know. So yeah, I mean, yeah. he makes a fool, pretty much a fool out yeah. of everyone, just as McLean does in Die Hard, right? Like we're talking of like you know, the great Paul Gleason. Yep. Uh, Same like thing. Just, got, got, just like, makes you know, it, you know. But he does it. Like I said before, he does it with with comedy and and with such you know and is this he's not punching anybody out, he's not shooting anybody necessarily. I mean, he's just doing his own thing, and and it just it's so great. It's yeah, so and the, the, you know, that shootout at the end is one of the at the time I thought it was a it was one of the biggest action sequences. It wasn't the biggest action sequence in the movie, but as far as shootouts go, there was a lot that was going on. It was pretty intense. It's yeah. pretty intense. And and yeah. does that does that mansion look familiar to you? Where they had the um, shootout at the end? It does, actually. Um, you know where it was from? It was used in Commando. It was. Okay. It was well, the same mansion I was gonna, that used in Commando. I was going to say something like Scarface. <laughs> I'll even go as far as to say Iron Man 3, because yeah. it looked very similar there as well. It did have that you same know, look. I, I thought that, about you know. that, but but that, <laughs> that in the, nec- the next year, they used it in Commando. Okay. So that, you know, that that kind of kind of tells you how... Uh, how important the sets are because that that mansion just had all the different stairs and all the different areas for people to come out with a gun and get blown away. Well, the building, <laughs> the police headquarters, I think is a very famous building in Beverly Hills. So I don't, I forget the name of the building itself, but it's, just, it's, it's a, you know, it's a landmark mm-hmm. in the, in that part of town. So they use that for the police headquarters. So of course, you know, the, why would police headquarters be so elaborate and so pristine and such a well it was supposed to be the know, contrast that's, is that's so the thing tech and they it's, use computers and yeah, yeah you in, walk in, into in, the office they got the they got the screens and the, the you yeah know, like in detroit they got the lockers with their name written on it and tape you know it's just like, like this this is not my locker he's like mind your mind your effing business and get back to work he's like this is not my locker. Jeffrey, you know, like, i'm not talking to you jeffrey <laughs> yeah <laughs> So yeah. yeah, so so such a just a really a lot of great stuff in this film. I really love all the you know again the depth of the cast, the depth of the actors, and it was how, how they're able to support Eddie Murphy really in his first feature film debut. So it was so important. Again, the, I, I can't go without saying we talked about the soundtrack, but w- what would this soundtrack be without the heat is on mm-hmm. by Glenn Frey? Mm-hmm. That's it right. Was, it was just made for, and again, I can't believe this movie came out in December because this is like a summer film for me. Because the heat is on is like a summer summer song. It was all over the radio. Yeah, yeah. Just, and, you know. and Axel F by How, Harold Faltermeyer. He did the sound. He did the you know a lot of the incidental music, and that theme. That's the theme pretty much became a big thing. Well, that's pretty much the whole score. Yeah, it's nothing. It's nothing but that. <laughs> I was a kid. There'd be just a little variation from. The theme, but the whole, the whole, pretty much the whole score is, is, is. The yeah. There's no like lot. orchestral score. It's that. And, and then it's yeah. the music. You've got Patty LaBelle had a couple of songs on there. Uh, Stir it up, new attitude. And then, yeah, mainly, you know, Harold Faltermeyer 
overseeing and, and doing the score with with some you know popular artists of the time uh, mm-hmm. filtered in. And of course, The Heat Is On actually opens the film and then you get Neutron Dance right after it too. So well, I think it's like great this. that they open the film with that song and when they're showing the streets of Detroit, you know, Glenn Frey yeah. himself was from Detroit. So I thought that was uh, it's a nice callback. At, they didn't know that at the time, but of course it, it makes perfect sense now. You know, when you watch the film, I think it's great. It's a nice little tribute to him. Yeah. You know, so how, how many times did, did we see this in the, th- I know I saw this, I saw this in the theater at least two or three times. I think I've, I myself saw it twice. I don't remember who with who. Um, yeah. It, it might have been that kind good, of film. Yeah, it might have been with our good buddy Dwight, who's always good on buddy our, Dwight. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, 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 I remember. Most, yeah, must have been. This with was Johnny back in the day when I would just go see stuff over and over oh, yeah. that I really liked. Oh yeah, I mean, eighty four was this. It was Breakfast Club. All those movies that just kind of. Yeah, I'm just gonna go see this again. <laughs> yeah, '80s was that was our time. That was our coming of age for film. The movies were very you know? repeatable and, and able to rewatch, like go, mm-hmm. like pay to go to the theater and go see it again. How many These times did we films? see? Yeah, Commando. How many times did we see Predator? How many? You know, all the Schwarzenegger. <sighs> we couldn't wait for the next one to come out, right? Yeah, and then we'd have to go see it again. And, and Beverly yeah. Hills Cop was was in that pantheon of films that. When I saw it, I'm like, oh my God, I got to go see this again. Just because it was so, it was so different from a lot of the stuff that was out there too. You know, everyone knew yeah. Eddie Murphy from his, his SNL stuff. So he, he had an established body of work. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't an unknown entity or quantity. We just didn't know how, how well it would translate to film because, you know, everything he had done before was kind of smaller roles. So it's easy to kind of dip your toe in the water. Um, this is him carrying it and he carried it in a big way. This was the biggest film of, of 84. The '80s, really, but again, we we we, were, we we touched upon how the movie, the tone of the films, sort of changed in the '80s, and how how much excess there actually was. And the, yeah. the bigger the budget, the higher the higher the ideals and the action. Everything was sort of elevated, and you know, and everybody had to outdo each other. We need to die hard to die harder, and to be right. even bigger and deliver more. And and you know, it just. I actually, it, I actually went back and I watched 48 hours in prep for this. I, I watched both just to compare the two. And there is such a big difference in, in the, in the tone of the films, Eddie Murphy, still the wise ass, still the, you know, still sort of acting more or less, you know, in this case, he's the the con man, but in this case, he's more, he's suave, right? He's got the suit. He's got the fancy car. He's, you know, he's got the money. He's, you know, he's trying to, trying to set himself straight in the thing. And he, again, he's, he's the smarter of the two between him and Nick Nolte. Like yeah. he's got the brand, even Nick Nolte says it in the film. He goes, this guy's got more brains and more guts than anybody I've ever worked with. And they become, you know, they become great friends. Well, not great friends, but they mutual respect for one another by the end of the movie, but it still had that grittiness to it. It has it still had coming off the seventies. It was still very violent. Yeah. The, the language, I mean, I mean, every other word was, was a, was a curse word. I mean, yep. there's a lot of, there's a lot of nudity, you know, Beverly Hills Cop, it gets to that point and there's some of that remaining, but it's very, very tame yeah. in comparison to. Yeah, still rated R, but for, but for you different could take, reasons. But, but, but young, you could take, you could actually take your kids to see it. It's really not that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I would, not you sure know, I, would. I, I don't, I mean, it's really not, I mean, for kids who obviously well, I guess, were I guess into Eddie I'd Murphy. Have have, first I'd have to have kids. Well, I'm just saying, <laughs> if you were but an Eddie I Murphy did. fan in the 80s, a kid in the 80s who loved Eddie Murphy, and you yeah, asked, you, you know, with it. You if you asked your it. folks to hey, take me to see this yeah. movie, they, you I know, mean, you could totally do that. It, yeah, it had that. It's, it's violence, you know, in language. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, it, it, forty eight hours. On the other hand, nah, you know that's a little that's going a little too far. But that little, was the early eighties, yeah. and that. But I like that time. I, I I really dug that time when it was just you know the sort of the coming of the decade. And it's, mm-hmm. it's interesting to see now when you watch these films and how much they progressed over time. And then by the end of the eighties, we're getting it's like you said, die hard, die harder, die hard hardest. Yeah, you know, how many how sequels? Can we over, oh, outdo yeah. it and and just kind of it became about the spectacle. Yeah. You know, and, and less about the story. And, and, and I think Beverly Hills cop is, is in the last of that, in the last of that era where, in those rows. So, where you yeah. had, you had that balance yep. of, you had, you know, they were, they were still like action wasn't being thought of on a grander scale. It was always car right. chases, car crashes and, and shootouts. I mean, mm-hmm. that's pretty much the, the, the realistic world that everybody lived in and no one thought about hyper 
reality and action, uh, uh, even for our, a normal human being to just do something hyper hyperactive and just have that be the way the movie is. Not that they're a yeah. superhero, but it's just that's where where they are. Um, and Beverly Hills Cop wasn't that, and it was a straight up, you know, comedy act an action comedy. So this is the perfect vehicle for him. Yeah, even even the sequel, the you know the second one. Uh, was, we're going to talk about the sequel, huh? Well, I mean, it was just it, you know, like like you say, I mean, it, it, it had to be bigger. It had to be you know they had to up the ante on the action, and so yeah, it wasn't as good. And but yeah, I didn't and even see the third one to be honest. I, I and heard that's it was the horrible. thing is uh, you know you know <clears throat> it it did well. Beverly Hills Cop two it made two hundred seventy six yeah. million dollars. So it it made money, but it would it had really mixed reviews though. It really was trying to recapture lightning in a bottle, mm-hmm. um, but it it didn't really work. And then they went to the well one more time with John Landis to take a crack at it. Um, and that made like a hundred and hundred and twenty million almost somewhere yeah. around there, which again is uh yeah, the budget was seventy million, so it eked it eked out a profit. Yeah. It, it he didn't even want to do it unless he got paid handsomely for it and i think a large chunk of that budget went to eddie murphy <laughs> just to get him to be you know just to re- reprise the role yeah and it's one of those you things know. when you become self-aware of the material yeah. it becomes harder just like ace like ace ventura 2 but, yeah. you know ace ventura 2 was self-aware of of what they were doing and, and it kind of lost something there like that that lightning in a bottle of the first one when it when it comes to comedies it's hard to to yeah, recapture a second one yeah, you can't, you know, because you, you end up going back and repeating the same jokes. Yeah. The, the same closest gags. that came was was Austin Powers. You know, like the three Austin Powers films were all funny. Like I, that's I, yeah. a that's a rare trilogy. Yeah, I agree. I, I actually I, I think the second one is the best. Actually. Yeah, I think, you know, I loved it better than the first one. So yeah, and, um, and in this case, Beverly, and, and from what I understand, uh, Netflix has picked up the rights or the option to make a Beverly Hills Cop. I guess it would be four because they made. Uh, Coming number two, America. They made a sequel to Coming to America, Netflix with Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall, and it did very well. Yeah, on Netflix. And now uh, it looks like he might be revisiting Axel Foley. Now, if they get the 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 right writers to do it now, and maybe now can be a little more self aware since it was so long ago, I think you might be able to get away with it. And you know, it depends on on what Eddie Murphy brings to it as well. Well, but- they tried to do a TV show too. At one point, they were bring, you know they were bringing in yeah. a couple of years. Uh, uh, no, yeah. that was I'm thinking of the Lethal Weapon TV show from a couple of years ago. And no, but they wanted to do a TV show. They did uh, a pilot, and it didn't do well at all. It didn't it didn't score well. And I think Eddie Murphy said that the only way that he would actually come back is if he wasn't if he played if he, if he just did it in sort of cameo, like he would have to be another character. And he would be, he wouldn't come back full on as Axel. Like he would just be in it. He would, he would probably be more behind the scenes with mm-hmm. it. And he would just be like, sort of like Shaft. Like yeah. Samuel L. Jackson did Shaft and his, you know, Richard Roundtree came, you know, he, the real, you know, the first yep. Shaft was like, he was his, uh, well, it turned out to be his uncle, you know, yeah, like, you know. I don't know. I, I, he might be, he might be you afraid of, of how it might turn out. Maybe that's why. Yeah, maybe that's maybe. why he's, he's so trepidatious about it. Yep. But, um, it, it might be something worth looking at. Again, they, they did it with Cobra Kai, uh, YouTube, you know, they, they respected the source material and was able to make something that people enjoyed that watched it then, but it was accessible now. So they can certainly do it. Yeah. Um, it, it would be interesting. Ronnie Cox is still alive. John Ashton is still alive and judge Reinhold is still alive. That's so true. They, they can, if they really wanted to really go there, the full, the full way, Round them all up. Bring them all in. Sure. <laughs> Round them all up and bring them all in. No doubt about it. You know, Ronnie Cox is, is up there, but you know, <laughs> hey, he he can do it. And I, yeah. I think uh I think it might be something worth looking at if they uh, if they do. It's it's in development, so we'll have to see what happens with that. Yep. But yeah, I think that's gonna do it for Beverly Hills Cop. Um God, it, it was watch. I hadn't seen this film in so long, and I don't I, I don't know either. what started us talking about it. It was we fun. just did. Great choice. And it was yeah. it was a revisit for me because I never I don't I, maybe I own it on DVD, but if I did, I never opened it. I have it's probably sealed somewhere. So I it was one of those ones that always fondly remember, but you know it's never really on cable. I never really catch it anywhere. I don't see well, it the anywhere. Funny thing is, is it was all over streaming. I had I had HBO it was there. Oh, all really? the sequels were there, and it's just I never really bothered to watch it. Then we started talking about it. And I'm like, oh, I can well, you know, 
and it was gone. Of course, yeah, I had to rent it. I rented it. From I, had, Prime. I had to rent it off of Amazon Prime. <laughs> <laughs> That's they, I think they know what we're watching, what we want to do, and, and then they, forty-eight they hours take it for off. that matter. Yeah, I had to do both off of Amazon Prime. I had to rent yeah, both because Prime always has like the Paramount stuff in there. They'll have the Star Trek, and it'll come and go, and then the, I think the other pretty ones much. I think both of them are actually on Paramount Plus at this point. Yeah, I think, think. Uh, yeah so it, it's out there. It's just yeah, it was one of those ones that I would just pass by. It's like yeah, Beverly Hills Cop. <laughs> uh, I'm so glad we got we 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 decided to take a look at it again and take a watch because it yeah, really it was, was for me very much nostalgic, but nostalgic in a good way because films aren't made like this anymore. They try to, yeah, but there's there's just something about it. And and at this point in Eddie Murphy's career, he was just on the, on the uprise, and it was the mm -hmm. perfect time to capture him on film and and put him with a great cast. So he could just work as magic. That was what it is. Is is very much like Robin Williams too. It's like, yeah, get people around him and let him go. And that's, yeah. that's what, that's what Eddie Murphy was in Beverly Hills Cop is get people around him. There ain't much of a story here. It's very thin. It's a murder. It's some drugs there. That ain't the, the reason to watch this. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. just the vehicle to get Eddie Murphy from one situation to another. And in one character interaction to another, that's really what it is. There's not, yeah. you're not watching this for that. You're watching it to just see him, uh, his breakout performance. Yeah. And, and it, you know, he was king of SNL at that point too. The eighties weren't really the time for SNL. Yeah. I think it was like Lorne Michaels. He's widely even credited as saving it. Yeah. Cause that was yeah, when absolutely. Lorne Michaels was, was away. Right. <clears throat> and they didn't know what they were doing. And he was, he was literally the, the second coming for SNL. I mean, he literally saved their bacon for those years uh, that's right with 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 all just the the iconic characters i mean e back then everybody was watching it just because he had so many he had he had buckwheat he had gumby he had mr rogers he did the james brown thing with the hot tub i mean he had so many different characters and then <laughs> yeah. he, then he came out with delirious which was his stand-up oh my god before, and everybody was quoting this i mean there wasn't oh anybody that did not see delirious at the time and wasn't quoting from that stand-up so this that thing was just everybody was was hysterically laughing. It was an HBO special, and that's all everybody was ever talking about before this came out, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody just used to be quoting Delirious. That's right. And all they, the impressions oh he did: Elvis Presley, he did Jackie Gleason, <laughs> he had, you know, all of his, you know, his Bill Cosby influences, his Richard Pryor influences, and in stand up. Yeah. All these things came to get come together uh, for Delirious, and and you see that also. Kind of in in his film work, you see yeah, you see so, his, his influences. So raunchy, he's not afraid to go there. He just he's very on you know on point, and he he, he can get as dirty as they come. Yeah, but it's oh, it's hilarious the, the way he does it, the delivery. It's it's just, yeah. Back then, he was just on fire. It, it's yeah. you know he's been around for so long, and his career's had some you know more downs than ups, but. Back then, he was he was everything. I mean, everybody yeah. was just always talking about Eddie Murphy. What did he do on SNL? And then he did his thing. And he kind of in a, special, like like we like we films. yeah like we mentioned, he kind of cleaned. Well, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say cleaned up his act, but he really, yeah, he really gravitated to you know the much tamer stuff like family oriented. It really became yeah. yeah, and that that's a really cool thing to see too. I I I, I like that about you know that change. This this was a guy who was never on you know into drugs or alcohol. Yeah, he, no. He was like like even filming Beverly Hills Cop. There's a the scene where he's talking about the super cop. You know the, where he's giving the credit to yeah. you know the other. <laughs> he he had a couple. Of, he they they tried to give him a couple of sips of coffee just to get you know get the energy up, and he 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 refused at first because I don't. He goes I don't put any of that in my body, and but he did. So if there is if if that scene does come off where he's kind of rushing his lines a little bit, <laughs> there you go. It's there. It is. There's that little that caffeine would be high right there. <laughs> so yeah. and, and back then tidbit. all it took was coffee. So yeah, that's, yeah. That's how tame so, it was back in the eighties, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that that's gonna do it for this episode of the thirty three twenty four podcast. We are on social media, so please give us a follow there uh, on Instagram and Facebook. We're at thirty three twenty four podcast on Twitter. We're at 3324P. We also do live shows uh, every other week now, as long as the schedule holds. So check mm -hmm. us out there. We have a lot of fun. That's your chance to interact with us. Um, and new episodes weekly on Thursdays. And then we have our shorter episodes called Quick Hits. Those come out on Monday. So uh, plenty of content for you to delve through, dive in. You'll find something in there, I guarantee you. It's, it's like going to a rummage sale. You just got to mm -hmm. sort through. And, <laughs> and at the bottom is the thing that you didn't know you needed. And that's what it was. That's what our podcast is. You didn't know you needed it. But once you get here, you understand yeah. that you do. You're absolutely right. 
<laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, so we, we what thank a great you. assessment. Yeah, it is yeah. a great assessment, right? We're, yeah. like the, we're like the thing at the bottom of the, wow. the thrift pile that you didn't hey. know you needed, but can't live go. without. There you go. I think that might be our new slogan. Didn't know you needed it, but can't live without it. <laughs> sure. Yeah, we'll work not? on that. Yep. Bumper, stick, bumper sticker on the way. <laughs> so we will, until next time, we will see you real soon again for, for Eric. This has been Dean, and we're going to ask you to please be kind and rewind. You've been listening to the 3324 Podcast with Dean Legiro and Eric Cooper. You can find us on your favorite podcast provider. So please like, subscribe, and rate to become a part of the 3324 family. Your feedback is important, so make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at 3324podcast and on Twitter at 3324p to join the conversation. 